Welcome to another edition of Fan Territory. No longer coming to you as I have in the last two weeks from secret undisclosed locations, from parts unknown. No, as you can see, I am back home and I am ready to talk All-Stars. All-Show will have different things on the All-Stars and the selections that were taking place last night and revealed on ESPN. The one thing that stood out to me about the selections, and I wrote about this today, the omission of Fernando Tatis Jr. from the National League All-Star team. Tatis Jr. is one of the best players in the game. He is one of the most electric players in the game, and yet he is not on the team. And as I wrote today in The Athletic, I sort of hate it because I want to see him in the game, but I also sort of love it because the players, his own peers, are effectively penalizing him for testing positive last season for a performance-enhancing drug and receiving an 80-game suspension. They are saying, Fernando Tatis Jr., we didn't want you. That is a strong statement from the players. It's nothing loud or public or quotes or anything like that, but these actions speak louder than any words could speak. So what do we make of this? Well, I want to point out that, again, he is clearly deserving. Look at these numbers compared to the other National League outfield reserves that were elected. Soto, Castellanos, and Gurriel Jr. were the others that were elected. Soto, clearly the best of the group statistically. Not the defender that Tatis Jr. is, but his F-war is above Tatis Jr. Soto 3.4, Tatis Jr. 3.2. Castellanos has a higher OPS than Tatis, but his F-war because of his defense is not nearly as high. It's at 1.7. Gurriel Jr., OPS is not there. F-war is not there. He should be the guy that didn't make the team because Fernando Tatis Jr. did. Now, this is not the media acting as the moral police. No. This is a situation where the players are effectively addressing the misconduct of one of their own. And make no mistake, it is misconduct. I know some fans are saying, ah, oh, Tatis used this cream, he was treating an injury, oh, he didn't mean... No, 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 no. In this day and age, with so much information available to the players, there is no excuse for testing positive. If you have a substance that is questionable, that you're not sure about, you send it to the league, you make sure it's okay, it's legal, you check it out. When you don't do that, it's on you. Simple as that. Now, there's one exception to this in my mind. It's the guys who have been suspended for that substance, DHCMT. Another story entirely. We'll get back to that another time. So here's Tatis. He served his penalty. He effectively, in the eyes of the league and the eyes of the union, is a member of this sport in good standing, just like all of the other guys who serve penalties as well. The difference here is that the players don't have to like what he did. They don't have to elect him an all-star. And that is what happened. All right, let's continue the all-star discussion. On a more positive note, the Atlanta Braves. My goodness. Eight all-stars? That's insane. It's one-fourth of the team. Here they are. Acuna Jr., Bryce Elder, Spencer Strider, Matt Olson, Ozzie Albies, Orlando Arcia, Austin Riley, and Sean Murphy. Now, each of these players is deserving. You can quibble a little bit. Maybe Cattell Marte should have made it over Albies. Maybe J.D. Davis should have made it over Austin Riley, but these are quibbles. The Braves right now have the best record in the major leagues. They have surpassed the Rays. 
in recent days. They are on this incredible run, 23-3 run right now, including eight straight wins. The Marlins came into Atlanta over the weekend, all kind of excited to play the Braves because they played so well this year, and the Braves hammered them. Just hammered them. So let's take a look at the NLE standings before this 23-3 run began and after where we are right now because it's so telling. The Braves through June 2nd. Three-and-a-half game lead over the Mets and the Marlins, an eight-game lead over the Phillies. Okay, this is before their 23-3 and run. Let's take a look at the standings right now since the 23-3 and run. They are rather different, right? Nine-game lead over the Marlins, 12-game lead over the Phillies, and this is the shocker, an 18-and-a-half game lead over the Mets. This is astonishing. And what they are doing, the way they are doing this, that also is astonishing. You might have noticed the Braves in the first inning. It's incredible. Three times in eight days, they scored five or more runs in the first inning. Three times in eight days they did that. Five spot in the first. No other team has done it more than twice the entire season. And let's look at the first inning runs scored this season. Braves at 87. That's 21 more than the next highest team, the Dodgers. The Astros are five behind that. Then the Diamondbacks and Rays, really 33 and 34 behind the Braves. They are a terror in the first inning, mostly because Acuna is a terror in the first inning, but all of them. It's just been an amazing performance by that team. To see what they've done in the National League East, a good division, is just really impressive. So hats off to the Braves. Hats off to their eight All-Stars. I know to some fans it's going to seem like a lot. The Giants got only three. The Mets won. The Cardinals won. You can go argue this all day long. Don't worry, of course, because the All-Stars all get taken care of in the end when the guys start dropping out and players get added. We'll all be fine. But the Braves getting eight, that's quite a statement. Finally, I want to discuss in this segment a story that I wrote with the Athletics' Patrick Mooney on Saturday night concerned Marcus Stroman and his status. And the story said that the Cubs are not inclined to sign Marcus Stroman to an extension before the trade deadline. Not before the trade deadline. Now, the reasons for this are actually understandable. I know some Cubs fans freaked out. Here we go again. We're going to lose this guy. But let's face it. The Cubs don't know right now whether they're going to be buying or selling. They don't know whether they're going to remain in contention. They also have a budget for next year that they are, are not really clear on just yet because that budget will hinge on how they finish out this season. And the other part of this is Stroman probably has about 15 more starts remaining if he stays healthy. Cubs want to see what he does. They want to make sure he stays healthy before signing him. Now, the risk, of course, is that he goes free agent and he leaves. But Stroman, when I spoke to him about this on Friday afternoon at Wrigley Field, he was understanding of the team's position. This guy's been through it. He's been traded at the deadline. He's been a free agent. He gets the whole thing. And basically he said, hey, I would love the chance to stay here. I would love the opportunity to re-sign as a free agent if I opt out of my deal, which of course he's going to do if he continues this performance. So obviously for the Cubs, they need to see where this goes. They're not exactly a rip-roaring squad right now. They're playing better. They're okay. But the fact that they're in a weak division is what is saving them as a contender. So come late July, 
They'll see where they are. They'll see if it's better to trade Strowman or keep him for a pennant run or at least an NL Central title run. And it could go either way. If they lose him, it's a deep class of free agent pitchers. The Cubs would be in position to re-sign Stroman or go after any of those other pitchers. So it's not the end of the world, and it's kind of an expected outcome that they're not going to sign him to an extension before the deadline. That said, it was still newsworthy because that was one possibility here. That's one box checked off. That's not going to happen. Could they trade him? Yes. Could they keep him? Also, yes. Remember one more thing on Stroman. He has already received a qualifying offer as a free agent, so he can't get one again. If the Cubs lose him, they can't give him a qualifying offer, and they can't get a draft pick as compensation. That is problematic. That is one factor that will come into play when they are making their decision on what to do with Marcus Stroman. Time now for the Inside Dish. This is the segment in which I go inside a story I've written or maybe go back a few years to talk about something in my career that I found interesting. And I'm going to go back today 30 years. That's right, 30 years to my favorite All-Star Game memory. 1993, the All-Star Game at Camden Yards. Now, you guys know I worked a long time in Baltimore. I'm a little bit biased toward my Baltimore days. But this All-Star Game was one of a kind. And the reason it was one of a kind is because Cito Gaston, the American League manager that year, stacked his team with seven Blue Jays. There were three elected starters and four more that he named. Now, keep in mind, the selection process was different then. It wasn't this multi-tiered thing where the players had a say and then the league. It was basically the players got elected and the manager named his people. That's what Gaston did. And the Orioles at the time were a rival, as they are now, of the Blue Jays in the AL East. The Blue Jays were the power back then, of course. And Baltimore fans, seeing how the game was being played in their park, were rightly indignant over what I termed in the Baltimore Sun as the Cito 7, as if these guys were criminals, which they weren't. So there was quite a bit of anger in Baltimore about this. And I, as a columnist for the Baltimore Sun, was more than happy to stoke the flames, which I did the entire week leading up to the game. So then the game occurs. And Mike Messina, future Hall of Famer, then a young pitcher in the major leagues, it was his second All-Star appearance. He warms up on his own in the eighth and ninth inning. Now, the bullpens at Camden Yards are fully visible to the entire crowd. The crowd saw what was happening. They were excited. Oh, Messina's coming into the game. Awesome. Well, Messina did not get into the game. And for the first time in All-Star history, and probably the only time this will ever happen, the home team was booed off the field. They were booed off the field because Cito had stacked the team, and then he didn't use Messina when Messina was warming up. Now, it turns out Messina did this all on his own. He said he wanted to get his throwing in. To this day, I don't know if he was trying to poke the bear or not, but he nearly incited a riot, basically, is what he did. So that night, when we were all done writing, Dave Perkins of the Toronto Star came up to me in the press box, and he said, I just want you to know, I ripped your pitcher tonight. He ripped Messina for showing up Cito Gaston. And I told Dave... 
I just want you to know I ripped your manager. And we both kind of laughed because you have to serve your constituencies as a columnist. And we both did just that. Now, this wasn't over that night. The next day, or maybe it was the day after, I can't recall exactly, the Orioles had a workout at Camden Yards. And much to my surprise, in surveying the locker room about what happened in the All-Star game, some of the players on Messina's own team, some of his teammates, were upset with what he did. Harold Reynolds, he was then with the Orioles. He was not yet my friend. He was a guy I was covering. He said about Mike Messina, his teammate, he's a competitor and he's a know-it-all competitor. The man went to Stanford. That explains it right there. Now, Harold said that with a smile, but his comment was on the record and it was a pretty strong comment to say the least. Another quote from another Oriole, David Segui. He said of Messina, that's a little bit beyond what I thought he was capable of. Now, there were mixed reactions in that clubhouse. Some of the Orioles loved what Messina did. Cal Ripken the night before had actually said, I don't think the baseball fans here in Baltimore will ever forget this. Cal Ripken said that. He was not exactly Mr. Controversial. But in the end, Messina tried to apologize to Cito Gaston or planned to apologize and eventually did apologize. But at one point, Cito, who was really upset about what he perceived again as Messina showing him up, he had this quote, and it was a doozy. The quote was, by standing up, warming up, essentially, he showed me he's a person with little class. Screw him. I just won't take him on the All-Star team. Next year, he showed very little class as a person. They eventually patched things up, I think. Not sure. But it was the most absurd, ridiculous, hilarious controversy, and really it was over nothing. So it's my favorite memory. It's my favorite memory because when I was criticizing first Gaston and then Messina, or at least not criticizing Messina, but kind of making fun of him for stirring it up like he did. I called him Dennis the Menace in print and other things. It just was basically something where no one really got hurt. It was not a serious issue. That is my favorite memory. The 1993 All-Star Game, 30 years ago, the home team booed off the field. Doesn't get any better than that. Here we go with the Dude and Dork of the Week. Dude of the Week, I know we're sort of beating a dead horse, but this guy could be the dude every week, and he was really a dude last week. You know who I'm talking about. Shohei Otani. Incredible week, incredible month. Let's start with the week last Tuesday. Two home runs and 10 strikeouts. That was two home runs as a hitter, 10 strikeouts as a pitcher against the White Sox. Friday night against the Diamondbacks, he had a home run that went 493 feet. Longest in the majors this season, longest of his career. One more thing on Otani I want to show you because it's incredible. His numbers for the month of June. This is a month of baseball for one player. As a pitcher, 30 and a third innings, 3.26 ERA, 37 strikeouts, obviously averaging over a strikeout per inning. As a hitter, and this is where it really gets crazy, 15 homers in the month of June, 394 batting average, 492 on base, 952 slug, OPS of 1.444. That's pretty good. So Shohei Otani is the dude of the week. I'm interested to see what he will do in the All-Star game. He's been elected, of course, as a designated hitter and as a pitcher by the players. And he has been mindful of his workload. 
especially in recent weeks. He's talked about that. The Angels have talked about it. We will see him as a hitter in this game. I am not convinced we will see him as a pitcher. Remains to be seen. Dork of the week. I'm going to give it to Major League Baseball. And I'm going to give it to Major League Baseball because of the all-star uniforms. Last couple of years, we've seen these team uniforms. American League, National League. No longer do the players wear their own team's uniforms. And this year's versions, well, they're okay. The American League jersey and the National League jersey, I don't get offended by them. You see them right there. They're okay. And the idea is for the jerseys to reflect the area in which the game is being played. So we're in Seattle for this year. The ocean, the forest, the topography, the movement of the air, it's all reflected in these jerseys. All right, that's cool. And they're different kind of material from Nike. It's supposed to promote movement in the player or make it easier, moisture. I don't know. All these things are going on with the jersey. All I want to know is why can't the players wear their own team's jerseys like they used to? What is wrong with that? That is cool. And if you want to sell more jerseys, fine. And I know some people will buy these all-star jerseys. That's great. And again, I'm not offended by these jerseys, at least the design of them. They're fine. But why not just put an all-star patch on a player's regular jersey, sell it that way? A fan might be even more inclined to buy it. Just to me, it seems like a better way to go. This is not a harsh dork this week because I'm not that upset about it. But man, let the guys wear their own jerseys. Let the guys wear the jerseys that they wear all the time for their teams. And if we're talking about having every team represented, which we do, that's part of the all-star thing, let's represent them. Let them represent their teams by wearing their team's jerseys. MLB Dork of the Week. This week on Fox, I've got the Mariners at the Astros. Looking forward to this because I have not seen either of these teams in person this season. And the Mariners are particularly interesting to me. We've talked a lot about the Mets, the Padres, the Cardinals as disappointing clubs. The Twins fit into that category. Guess what? The Mariners are another team that has not played nearly to expectations. Granted, they don't have the payroll or the cachet of some of those other clubs, but they are a disappointing team, and I'm interested to see them. And then from Houston, I will travel to Seattle for the All-Star festivities, where we will be next week. All right, now it's time for the fan questions. We've got some good ones this week. First off, from Andrew Marasco. He asks, Giants fans writers have given Farhan Zaidi a lot of flack for underperforming in comparison to what he did with the Dodgers. With the emergence of Patrick Bailey and Casey Schmidt, two players drafted under Zaidi, is it fair to say his plan finally may be coming to fruition? It is entirely fair to say that. And those two players that you mentioned, Bailey and Schmidt, those were the Giants' first two picks in the 2020 draft. Zaidi took over in November of 2018. So those guys are his drafts. Tristan Beck, another rookie, a reliever, he came in the Mark Melanson trade in 2019. That's another Zaidi acquisition. But he doesn't just get credit, in my mind, for those guys, guys who came in under his watch. There were players who were with the Giants before Zaidi arrived, and they too have developed in a big way and are contributing to what the Giants are doing. I'm talking about Luis Matos, an international signing. He's the kid they brought up to replace Mitch Hanniger. Keaton Wynn, a 20th rounder in 2017. 
and Ryan Walker, a 31st rounder in 2018. The Giants developed these players under Zaidi. Yes, he deserves credit for what they're doing. He told me in spring training he was excited about their young talent, which, by the way, includes a top pitching prospect who we have not seen yet, Kyle Harrison. And when he told me that, I didn't roll my eyes exactly, but that's how GMs always talk. Well, he wasn't kidding. Giants look good. Next question is from, I'll just call him Skyler. Skyler asks, outside of health, how do the Reds cement themselves as contenders? The bats are alive, the pen is solid, and Green and Lodolo are coming back to Abbott and Ashcraft. Okay, you kind of hit on it right there, Skyler. The Reds need more starting pitching. I would say one for sure, two in a perfect world. Green and Lodolo are still out. They're going to be out probably until August. Abbott, at some point, I imagine, will reach an innings limit. He has been amazing, brilliant. He's been the Ellie De La Cruz of the pitching staff or the Matt McLean of the pitching staff, however you want to call it, the Spencer Strider of the pitching staff. He's been great. But even with Ashcraft seemingly coming around now, they are short on starting pitching. They are near the bottom of the league in rotation ERA, which makes their run all the more impressive. But I have a hard time imagining them sustaining it unless they get veteran rotation help. And good luck finding it, because as good as the red system is, and they are in position to make trades, and their general manager, Nick Crawl has said we are in financial position as well. The available group of starting pitchers just isn't all that great. So it's going to be a challenge for Crawl to supplement that rotation. Ooh, this is a good one from King. Best performance you've seen live. Now, we're not talking about concerts. We're talking about baseball here. I can do a whole other segment on concerts. But in baseball, I've seen some amazing things, obviously, right? I've done this a long time. I've seen three no-hitters. Juan Nieves of the Brewers. This was like in the seventh game I ever covered in 1987. I was overmatched. Hideo Nomo, a controversial no-hitter with John Hirschbeck behind the plate at Camden Yards. John's strike zone that night was rather expansive, about the size of the Chesapeake Bay. And then, this was a big one, Roy Halladay in the playoffs at Citizens Bank Park. That was one of the great nights of my career. But all of that said, the best performance live I've ever seen, Josh Hamilton. Four homers and a double at Camden Yards in 2012. It was astonishing. It was an amazing night, and Josh had all the talent in the world. And it's still a shame in my mind that he had the issues he did with drugs. He just couldn't get out of that. But he was a brilliant player, and actually I believe he's a very good person too. He, like a lot of people we all know, had problems that he just could not overcome. Hopefully, he's doing well right now. One more. Tom Starita asks, <laughs> and this is great. Ken, I've only got 600 tweets. I don't have time for this. Tom, I am with you, brother. Twitter is on fire. Who knows where it's going? Now, I am, I guess, verified, or whatever they still call it. I got the blue check mark because of a million followers. I'm not bragging. This is just how Elon does it. I'm just trying to explain. So I can view, it seems, 6,000 tweets a day. And I'm taking full advantage of this, of course. But there are limits on others. And who knows where Twitter is going. If it goes away, we'll figure out something else to get you information in real time. And that'll be that. Thanks, everyone, for your questions. You, of course, can find us on YouTube. Subscribe there. You can also subscribe to us from a podcast perspective, wherever you get your podcasts. We will be coming to you next week, not from Parts Unknown. 
but from the site of the All-Star Game, Seattle, Washington. Greatly looking forward to it. Everyone have a great week, a great 4th of July, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, FT Live fam. If you're new to the party on the BetMGM Sports app, enter the promo code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for up to $1,000 back if your first bet loses. It's simple. Ready? Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gotta use the bonus code, Valve.